What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. To make up for taking an involuntary week off, we've got a long one for you. This week's guest is Saurabh Singh. I've admired Saurabh from afar for a long time, and it's funny that we've never actually met face-to-face before this chat because we've randomly shared lockouts in LA, essentially across the hall from each other twice at this point. I always hear him practicing the craziest stuff, and it's super inspiring. So we get into all that at the beginning of our chat, which I kind of just start randomly because we just went to the races immediately. But Saurabh is one of those drummers that gets calls. He's an insanely unique and consistent player who's worked with Ingrid Michaelson, Charlie XEX, Joji. His solo project is called Clever Girl, and most recently he's been keeping busy with the band Muda. He's got it all and has an amazing personal aesthetic, which I rather appreciate. This music you're about to hear is played almost entirely in real time with Saurav using the Trap Cat, which is a very interesting instrument that we discussed pretty early in our chat. So I'm going to shut up. Please enjoy the top five records that shaped Saurav Singh into the drummer he is today. Cheers. I remember when I was uh, always playing in, in Bedrock, which is in LA. It's a rehearsal spot for those listening. Yeah, you, Mark Stepro, and Matt Johnson were like across the hallway. So whenever I'd be in there just like working on my little whatevers, I'd just hear one of you three over there just like being amazing. And it was inspiring. I wasn't uh, sad about it, but it was just... Uh... And of course, whenever I talk to each one of you, I'm like, I always hear you practicing. They'd always refer like, oh, it was probably either Sarib or, or, you know, all the other ones. So it was, uh, you guys are always so humble. Oh, that's so sweet, man. Um, yeah, that bedrock was like, it was it, being at bedrocks like being at South by Southwest. Like I'd pull up there at ten in the morning and I'd see like Father John Misty in like his full getup with like all yep. his homies and then a bunch of like dudes just like drinking beers like in a <laughs> next to a car. Like I don't know, you never knew what you were gonna see there. Like twin yeah. shadow, like pulling up on his motorcycle and like just yep. looking like the coolest guy. It was just, it was cool. <laughs> well, we also have, I think you played with some people from Killphonic too, which is a, oh, uh, yeah. cause obviously I know John, I'm in Eve six with John Siebels and, and play with Cannons, oh. who is, who John in his new company manages. Oh. But I know you've played with a few of those guys. And yeah. Um, so by yeah, the way, it's, it's, oh ahead. yeah. I was going to say, you sound amazing with Cannons. I just want to say oh. that you like well. <laughs> yeah i just when i've everything i've seen i'm like wow yeah oh. well i'm gonna That's... get to what you're doing in a second okay, but okay. uh yeah i mean you you definitely sound amazing too but uh before we get into all of that i do want to one of the first times i ever saw you uh was when you were playing with the trap cat and you are so good at that thing so oh, can thanks, you man. explain real quick for my listeners what it is and kind of how you've incorporated it into what you do yeah sure um <clears throat> So the Trap Cat is made by Alternate Mode, very rad company based in Massachusetts. And it's actually like a, it's been around for a long time. 
and it's basically I don't know it's got like maybe 26 or 27 pads and it's got this really rad shape and it's essentially just like a MIDI controller and you can it the one I have doesn't have like a brain in it it just sends MIDI signal um, but the things that make it really special is first of all it feels amazing like the the way the playability of it but then when you like you could run it through Ableton drum rack which I've done and sort of just do like an SPD type thing or you could like I did a gig where I sort of you know within drum rack I I like <laughs> an addictive drummer I just like took a bunch of hi-hats at different velocities and a bunch of snares and I was playing with this guy Joji who um, is super rad and really kind of blowing up now but you know it's kind of James Blakey and Stacy Jones who's a killer MD kind of called me to do it and he was like you know it's it's like they, he's never had live drums and uh, by the way please rein me in if I ramble too long because I'm a rambler. <laughs> I always tell but... people by the way this is an audio podcast so please talk all you okay. want don't feel like tangents are bad. <laughs> you can you can cut it down. Um, <laughs> he, he called me he was essentially like you know he's never had a live drummer and so for that kind of thing I like ran it through Ableton Drum Rack and I put a bunch of multi-sampled um, hats and, and snares and kind of lo-fi trap sounds in it and would have like randomness when I sample when I played the trap cat like you know with Ableton you can like assign like a random LFO to pick samples etc blah 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 but the way that I use it often on like Instagram and stuff is I use it with something called a two box it's called a drum it d-r-u-m-i-t two box okay. drum it and um I was in there with Matt once and he ha he had a setup for St. Vincent which I don't know if you ever saw it but it was like crazy looking it was insane, and th that was actually kind of why he left our room was because it was, like, getting so sprawling that, like, <laughs> one day he was like, dude, I need a bigger spot. So that's why he left, but it was so cool. He showed it to me, always had the cool stuff. I didn't really know a ton about it, but then when I bought the Trap Cat, they recommended that to use with it, and the really interesting thing about the two-box drum it, I really recommend it to anyone who's into, like, electronic playing and stuff like that, is that you can basically, like, if you... Uh, so what I do is I'll find a contact library that I really like, like say like a Tabla library or Jimbe or something, and I'll go in and I'll just multi-sample, like draw in MIDI notes at every possible velocity in that, like for that unique like CC note. And so say there's like 15 of those that contact has already done, I'll like export those. And then what you can do with the two box drum it is like for one particular CC note, in that brain you can assign up to like probably 127 different unique samples whereas with an spd it's like when you hit a cc note you have like one sample of course you can turn dynamics on with it but it's just the same sample at a quieter volume so it's amazing about the trap cat is like if you multi-sample a snare drum at like every possible velocity when you do a press roll on the trap cat for that particular cc note based on your velocity, it, ought, it it's going to like give you every possible sample that you loaded in, if you know what I mean. So like totally. a quieter velocity is like a quieter snare hit and a louder velocity is like a louder snare hit, like it would be on a drum kit. So that's what I do. And I like to do it with, um, with like world percussion sometimes. And then, you know, I produce and I, I kind of produce in like the trap you know, hybrid trap dubstep genre. So it's like fun to kind of combine it. And, you know, for anyone listening, like, as you probably know, I don't even have a lot of Instagram followers, but doing that, those things has like gotten me gigs, you know, because people are like musical directors in LA are like, oh, you, you have this thing. 
and it's like not a lot of people use it and you know how to use it like can you so I've actually done like Drew Taubenfeld is another amazing MD here in town has like called me for a few things where it'll be like a singer who's not like a loud singer and who maybe has never even had a drummer and he'll be like can you bring that thing and like do something cool and then we'll sort of see if they like that or they like a, a live kid and then um, with uh, Kilphonic specifically with Flavia who I don't know if you've heard her she's amazing that when Ryan Vaughn called me for that same thing he was like she hates um, she hates loud drums and stuff like that and so can you do that so I did that and I'd actually been on tour with Charlie XEX for a year right before that on the um like opening on the Taylor Swift tour on the rep tour and when I did that same thing with Drew Drew called me for that and he was basically like Charlie hates uh loud drums and live drummers but she (laughs) wants to have some like she knows she should have a band for that tour and so I ended up standing up and playing the whole like I Drew and I put a kit together more of a hybrid kit you know things like you and I do and a lot of people Mm -hmm. but in the end he was like she just she does they want you standing and they want it we managed to sneak in a lot like a snare and a crash but the rest was digital and i was standing nice. for a year in front of 80,000 people with strobing lights being like i hope i don't literally i hope i don't fall um <laughs> yeah i'm kind of amazed that i didn't but proud to say i never did but anyway that's what the trap cat is and I, it's it's an amazing thing and it looks super cool and it's really fun to play it's it's editing it is can be there's like pedals that you use to edit it where you like hold down one pedal and then like hit a pad and then like cycle through it's like it's 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 very archaic in in that sense but when you get it set up it's you know it's really cool well i love how you talked about the followers and how you can still use instagram as a as a place to just express yourself and that's why i think a lot of people don't do enough of that. It's just have it be your online resume of like, here's what I do. So don't do, don't on, only upload videos that you think are going to get likes or yeah. go viral. It's like, just be yourself and you will get gigs if you're actually authentic. So that's, that's, that's fun to hear. I, I agree. And like, I have a few friends who are like, who are such incredible drummers, but they don't, I'm always like, dude, why don't you like post? Like you're so good. And you know, it's like, oh, well, I don't know. You know, especially now, cause there's so many, amazing um drama like even down the hall from us like you know patch patch mahoney oh yeah yeah he's killer and like when i when i met him in the hallway one time he sounded so incredible and he came out of the room and i I was like hey what's up i just came in here and we just started talking and he was like yeah i'm kind of new in town i was like oh yeah like i'll introduce you to like some of my like md friends and he's like cool let's follow each other on instagram and i looked at his thing and he had like 130,000 i was like oh this guy doesn't need any help from me but uh <laughs> but you know it's i think it's easy to see to see uh like you know something and think oh well like you know they have so many like should i even post but i think i do i like doing it because i realize that i just even have close friends who get so excited when it, even when just a few friends are like, oh man, that's so great. It just, you know, it feels good to let people in a little bit. I, I, it's hard to let people in sometimes. Mm-hmm. I've, you know, I don't want this to become too much of a therapy session, but it, you know, it's, <laughs> it, I like, that's a, you know, that it's the fear of like putting something up that like, that maybe in your mind you think people won't think it's as good as another thing. And then you start like, you know, wondering why it didn't get as many likes as the last thing. And kind of like you said, but it, it is like, you know, you kind of never know who's 
watching your stuff nowadays like you know um because even if you get like if you have if you if 30 people watch your video and one of them is like a big md who like i mean it happens a, like a lot here i feel like you know you know in la and and now in any city it's like you don't even have to live in la you put something up and someone shows it to their artist and the artist is like whoa that that's so cool and then the next thing you know you get an email and like you could be on a stadium tour or something i mean 100% or just yeah. you know your buddy recommends you and if you don't have any videos on your Instagram they're like well I don't I do they play you know and so uh, just having something up you know even just playing to a song and just playing the song not even trying to impress drummers just do something because yeah. most people that will hire you are not drummers so dude that's a really <laughs> you know? that's a really amazing point like that is that is a really amazing point and and you know but of course like if you don't if you don't want to like absolutely like you don't have to you know there's so many paths to it and like i mean like matt like johnson i mean i is matt even is he on instagram i'm not even he is yeah. uh i think it's his handle is matt johnson spelled backwards <laughs> um if you don't know how to I yeah, love that if you want to search for him yeah that's so great i mean of course yeah, and you know of course like matt also and same with matt chamberlain like they are you know, they, they, they kind of came up at a time when this stuff didn't matter. But, you know, there are plenty of people, great people who are not on social media, too. So by all means, like, you know, only do it if you want to. And I totally get it if you don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a beast I wish I wouldn't have to do. But, you know, it, it for me, it's all about the DMs. It's how I keep in contact with. I would say I mostly keep in contact with my friends via DMs on Instagram as opposed to texting them. So yeah. that's kind of what I use it for. I, and um, I love when you post stuff too. I, you know. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you sound so great. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. I get excited when my friends post it. It it does kind of like it pumps me up. So I'm always like, I kind of do want people to do it in that way. And I feel like I learn so much from everybody, from all you guys. You know, I feel funny even being on this. Like, I feel like I I'm like someone who's listening to your podcast. I have major imposter syndrome. So. Again, oh, well, I, don't, I don't want to be too too. Feel like this guy needs a therapist. But I probably do, but um, I definitely do. But uh, you know, <laughs> well, I, I currently have one, so it's okay. Oh, man. all right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think everyone probably should. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, y'all. I wanted to. <laughs> I can't say. I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. 
but I went to his garage, his his you know where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum, and it was it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com, just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful, and he actually let me use it on an Eve Six tour, and I didn't keep it, and I regretted it ever since then, just because I was trying to pinch pennies at the time, and I just kept thinking about it, and so the opportunity to get it again was presented, and it is one of my favorite drums. So the Ocean Patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, check it out, reach out to me, go to Vessel Drum Co., the Instagram's just at Vessel Drum Co. and check it out. It's amazing. It's beautiful. Sounds great. Bye. Um, well, speaking of playing, I yeah. mean, so I've seen so many videos. I mean, you've played, like, you kind of talked about who you played with in the past, but recently you're out with Muna, and yeah. those drum parts, man, are so fun to watch you play. I haven't seen you play live, but um, I've seen a lot of videos online. How'd you get hooked up with Muna? Thanks, man. Thank you. Um, Muna, so basically, um, so around, like, last year, um, they, and yeah, because we're in 20, yeah, in 2021, um, they had actually my friend uh like this is kind of the funny thing you never know how you're gonna get recommended for something but my friend amber um amber dryden who's amazing hair and makeup for anyone who who's needs it um she she works with lord and a lot of other cool people and i was touring with ingrid michelson for a long time who's a great singer songwriter and amber was hair and makeup on the on the bus with us and she and i would always hang out she became a really good friend of mine and she also um, does hair and makeup for Muna. And so basically she, Muna had posted on Instagram that they were looking for a new drummer. And um, Amber, I, I actually missed the post cause I didn't like follow. I sort of knew who they were cause they're a USC band. And um, mm. Brian Jones is their bass player who now plays with Paramore. He was their bass player. Um, and the drummer is this guy, Scott Heiner, who's awesome. And I'd known him for a little while, um, but hadn't really talked to them in years. And I remember like sort of hearing about Muna and seeing that they were doing like they did some late shows and stuff like that. Um, but I didn't know a lot about them and I didn't follow them. So she messaged me and like sent me the post on Instagram. And I kind of like I just didn't I sort of saw it and it like I saw that they were looking and they were auditioning. And first of all, my first thought was like, well, if they're posting on Instagram, they're probably going to have like all like somebody like I'm, I'm 40. And so I was like, they're probably going to have some young, you know, like USC whippersnapper or someone like that. Um, and so I just kind of like ignored it. And then she hit me up like a week later being like, hey, like Katie from Muna, who I now know is a lead singer, but I didn't know at the time, like, She's like, she hit you up on Instagram. Like you didn't like hit her back. Like, don't be like a moron. And I was like, oh, I didn't even <laughs> see it. Cause you know, yeah. you have to accept when you don't follow someone. So I got yeah. screwed by that. Um, and then I like, <laughs> and then she was like, she's going to text you. And I was like, wow. Like they're like, okay, they're kind of like tracking Pursuing me down, you. I guess. Yeah. yeah. And I also didn't know if I wanted to like really tour and play anymore I was playing with Joji and Joji was like we were doing big shows and he's this awesome artist for those who don't know he's on a label called 88 Rising and um uh he's like it's this kind of Asian um pop hip-hop collective but um I was doing stuff with him and then I was kind of like I don't know if I really want to tour anymore and so then 
Katie texted me and <clears throat> I essentially wrote her back saying like, I don't, um, I'll try to, I'll make the story shorter. I'm taking so long, but basically saying, oh, I love it. I'm like, I'm not sure if I want to do this. Um, and like if I want to play anymore and also I'm supposed to do some shows with another friend of mine and this and that. And then basically she was like, well, you, you know, you came, um, a few different people kind of told us about you. Um, Amber had, and then uh, AJ Novak, who's a great drummer, who's playing with Troy Sivan for a long time, and um, and I can't remember who else. Maybe someone else did. So she was like, a few people told told me that like you were the guy for us, and I thought that was really sweet. And then I like was like, well, I don't know if I want to do this anymore, and this and that. And then she was like, well, ha well, how would you feel if I if we just sent you the audition material? And then I was like, oh man, I have to audition too. Like I hate a the last audition I did was <laughs> uh, it's so yeah. and the last one I did was the Troy Savon audition, and it and I I kind of knew I wasn't gonna get that. That was like really so Adam Criscal. I don't know if you know Adam. So he was doing and he was yep. my dear brother. He was stepping down. He was like, yo, you should just do it. Like this is another thing for anyone who's listening and who doesn't auditioning like me who doesn't like auditioning, he was like, you should just do it because Stacy Jones is MDing. And like, I, Stacy and I had kind of known of each other, but I hadn't really gone in the room with him. So he was like, Stacy's insane, by the way. He's incredible. Everything he does. He's like good at everything. Dude, I, he's, uh, I mean, all these MDs out Sorry here. Sorry to interrupt, but. No, please. I mean, I agree. He's such an incredible MD and such a killer drummer. And like songwriter and singer. And singer, yeah, yeah. He's just amazing. So um, basically I went in. I knew, I kind of knew, I knew I wasn't going to get it. Like the competition was stiff. And there were two other drummers in Bedrock rehearsing the parts when I was, which was <laughs> such a... Hear them? Dude, I could hear yeah. AJ downstairs playing... Um, it's like crazy drum part. Very Manu Cache. Um, AJ was killing it. And Adam had this huge kit and AJ like actually rebuilt the kit and like I sort of didn't. I had like pieces of paper taped to like stands and stuff like that. And then Kevin Rice, another killer drummer, was like down the hall. He was rehearsing it. And I was like, dude, you're going to get it. And he's like, no, you're going to get it. And then like neither of us got it. And AJ got it, which was so well deserved. Um, but that's how I met Stacy. And so anyway, that was the last thing I auditioned for. And I was like terrified during it and this and that, blah, blah, blah. Typical audition stuff. And... Um, so then I was like, well, I don't know if I want to audition. And Katie basically said, how would you feel about just sending us something and maybe we'll scoop you up for next year? And then I was like, I don't know. And then they just like sent it to me anyway. And I just like opened the folder and listened to one of the songs. And I had like an emotional reaction to one of their songs called Winter Break. And then I just thought, you know what? Let me, it was a taped audition. Let me just like go in and do it. And I did. And then, I sent it into them and then I didn't hear anything for two weeks and I thought I didn't get it. And then yeah. it turns out later that like the other person I was supposed to go on tour with an artist named Maddie Diaz, who's amazing. Um, and is like a sister to me. She, I basically like I messaged her manager being like, Hey, I auditioned for this other band. I haven't heard from you guys. Like, are we still doing stuff? And this and that. And then he just was like, Hey, do you have a minute on the phone? Can I call you? And he called me and he was like, Hey, so I should just tell you, I manage Muna also with my business partner. And I was like, what? I didn't know that. And then he was like, yeah, like they were waiting because they were trying to figure out how to like, you know, like sort of, they didn't want to step on Maddie's toes, but you like got it. And I was like, whoa, I didn't know that. And then 
they hit me up. And I didn't even know all the cool things that were going to be in store for Muna um, at the time. I just, I thought the music was so amazing. The first tour was, so when they hit me up, like, the, the you know, Scott, the drummer, he was like, he, he said, <clears throat> you know, it's an all-hands-on-deck tour, and we're going to be in a van. And I hadn't done something without a drum tech in a little bit. And I called my parents, and I was like, man, like, am I still up for this? And and it, I just loved the music so much, and I did a FaceTime with them, and I just thought they were so special, and they were just such beautiful people, and the, the messaging and the music was so ma- like, And also, you know, I know because you're, like, electronically oriented, and you play with such a cool band, like, the production was so amazing. And mm-hmm. it's so fun to play music that is like that, and the drum parts were, like, so fun to play and so cool. And so, um, you know, then I, I ended up saying yes. And, and I, the first tour we did was opening up for Phoebe Bridgers. And I didn't know a lot about Phoebe at the time. She's, I mean, she was already huge then. Now now it's like, I mean, she just was like showed up at the 1975 show the other night and like played one of their songs by herself on stage. Like she's like that kind of a, it's like there's yeah. Phoebe like doing everything. Um, mm-hmm. But I just fell in love with Muna so much and, and um, so, yeah, I just I've been doing it with them ever since. Sorry, that was such a long story. But no, I love it. That's hey, I asked the question. <laughs> it was just it, it, it's you never know. I know you know how this is, man. Like you never know what's going to kind of pop in and what you're going to sort of suddenly fall in love with. And I've always loved working. I've never really I've done sideman stuff, but I've never really like related to that. I've always liked to like really you know, work with something that I can, people that I can connect with and music that I can like find my place in as opposed to, ju- and I have jumped around. We all do it here, but I've never really liked that, you know? Yeah. that There's always that intro period where, yeah, getting to know people all, all over again and you're excited about the music, but you're like, well, how's this first tour going to go? Cause it's just, when you have the family, that's it's it's the best and I, i'm very lucky it sounds like you are as well so it, yeah and and the fir- dude for sure and the first it was funny because the first i only had a day and a half with them i had to learn their set which you know it's just very like part oriented and so mm-hmm. it was like and they had had another they'd only had one other drummer so i really was trying to like you know i called him up a little bit and i was you know it's like oh like this one thing like scott like had like a heavier sort of approach and i was like I was like you know I'm a little more like this part I I feel it more like 16th note oriented and like your thing was kind of more like open hats and heavier like should I do what you were doing he's like dude they've only ever heard me play it before because he went to USC with them and he was like you should like do your thing and and I and I was like nervous I was we were at mates and like my hands were shaking and I was like mm-hmm. you know and they had such a family vibe and they're also like so cool but also so sweet and so smart and I was like very like taken with them you know I was like god these like they're so like amazing and are they gonna like me and we like I just started I just started playing the groove to one of their songs and I saw them like look at each other and kind of smile and look back at me like you know you know within like a second if they're gonna like (laughs) yeah yeah but hey before we go into your top five i do want to say so someone asked this when ash stone was on the episode and i I tend to ask a lot of my my guests because it's 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 tough for me how do you ingest your influences without feeling like you're just imitating them yeah i mean that is an amazing question um i mean i think like i i guess like most well, I I mean, for me personally, it w- it's always been like, 
and and I was kind of taught this way too, where like, you know, like I, I'll transcribe something or or learn something out of a book or just you know listen like old school style and just like go into TK or Bedrock and 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 really like work on that part. But then when I'm like playing with a with a band or playing with people, I don't necessarily like. It's kind of like what people say about technique. You know, I was listening to your thing, year one with Jason, which was amazing. McGurr, a new friend, a oh, new yeah. friend of mine. And it's really true with technique. You want to practice it, but when you're like playing music, like you don't want to be thinking about technique because the point of it is to like not not be thinking about that. And it's the same with influences. I feel like it's sort of like you learn these things, but then once you and you absorb how someone plays, but once you go on the bandstand like you want to just sort of forget about it you know and and like just sort of let it rip a little bit and follow your first impulse because I mean that's like what all the greatest people were were sort of doing I feel like you know that's how like they probably got to their sound you know Mm -hmm. um and I was sort of taught that way because like where I went to call I went to school with Nick with Baglio um, who you had on the show? Um, who by the, who yeah. like by the way he like sounded like that in school, like what he sounds like now. Jesus. Yeah, it was kind of a terrifying. You know, when you go to one of these schools, like it's kind of terrifying. And and I heard Nick and another guy named Ludwig Afonso, who's amazing. Who's um like more like he he was playing with Spyro Gyra, and you know he's more in the jazz scene, and mm. he's amazing. But Nick and Ludwig were like would have like drum battles and they sounded like that both of them and Ludwig like plays open style and it's like an afro cube it was like it was scary I was like holy shit like people sound like this like that are not on like DCI videos you know yeah um so it's and Nick's also just the best human dude he's the best human like we would I was really into like I was trying to like get into working out then and you know how ripped Nick is if you guys have seen him so yeah. also he was that ripped then and like we were I remember once Damn dude it. it was crazy we we were in the wellness center um at Miami and I was like trying to like you know be like eh, 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 lift like 10 <laughs> pounds and Nick just like came up and was like spotting me and helping me like giving me tips and I could see people looking over being like what <laughs> the hell is like I'm for those who have never seen me I'm very I'm a very uh I'm like a twig um and uh people were like what the hell is going on over there but he's the sweetest yeah and he would also used to he used to say my name in five I think it was five. He'd go sadab 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 one two one two one. I was seven sadab sadab sadab. Like that's the kind of guy he is. He would like say my name in seven when he would see me. I'm not even kidding. Like drummers are such dorks. What are we doing? Yeah, but but anyway. So yeah, that like to answer your question, I think that yeah, like that you know transcribe and and definitely shed stuff and. And, you know, at Miami, we had like a drum set improv class where we would just like move through drummers like Roy Haynes and like Philly Joe Jones and then like, you know, Vinny or something like that. And you'd transcribe these things and you'd get really focused on them and then you'd like move on. And I think the idea is like to like ingest what you can and then just like go in the I mean, Keith Carlock, I've heard also in interviews talks about that, too, like he learned all this dope stuff and then he like left school and he like had to figure out how to make his own soup out of it you kind of find that a lot with all those like all the really big influential people yeah i was listening to uh, joe wong on the trap set talk about 
I think it was his intro to Questlove, where Questlove has kind of self-described himself as failing to imitate people yeah. into becoming himself. Yeah. You know? I'm not going to word it as well as him, but they're like, if you try and be all these people, you're going to end up being you no matter what you try. It's, and and making something amazing. I mean, it's the same. I'm like a big, you know, I'm a big EDM head and I'm a big Skrillex fan. And even something with Skrillex, like with a lot of what we know as his like signature, I know this is a drum podcast, but, um, but like, you know, it's so applicable. Like a lot of what we <clears throat> love about his sound design, if you're a fan of his, was him trying to imitate Noisia, who is like a, legendary um drum and bass production trio and he was trying to make those sounds you know it's sometimes hard to imitate something exactly and he ended up making his own thing if he had imitated them too closely like maybe it wouldn't even have been that interesting so it'd be like oh well we've i think it's the same with drummers oh well we've like heard that you know what i mean and and i mean it can still be amazing but like when you do something new, like specifically with Carlock, like I, you know, when I first saw Keith, I, I, when I lived in New York, I went to the 55 bar to see him and it was such a small place. And it was like, I had never, I knew where he was coming from. I knew, I heard a lot of Garibaldi, which is like, I guess a good, a decent transition um, here, but I, I, I yeah. did hear a lot of that in him and I, and I heard certain things, but also like, it was just another thing. Like, you know, you, like you see drummers like that. I mean, Juliana with Mark, it was the same thing because I was in New York when he and I would go watch him and I kind of knew like where it was coming from, Joe Jamair and like Zach Danziger and stuff like that. But it was like he just had his own thing going on. And that's why everyone like would go and watch these people play, you know, I mean, still the case now with like Lewis Cole and like these. Oh, yeah. It's just I, I mean, it's just you can kind of hear the the nods to things, but it's distinctly their own yeah i would love to have him on but speaking of yes you uh great great co-host so <laughs> the number one is uh back to oakland release years 1975 artist is tower of power song is squib cakes but again it's just because i forced you to choose a song but the album the whole album is back to oakland and uh drummer's david garibaldi so do you want to talk a little bit about this record and then we can listen to it sure so i i mean i felt really predictable picking this and I tried to not pick it I tried really hard not to pick it but I I couldn't because it was just too it was just too I mean the, it was too important for me and it still kind of is so like basically I the first I had an amazing teacher in high school and and he gave me a, a live Tower of Power record which is amazing called um can't remember what it's called but I just know in the intro the first song is like he goes live from Sacramento it's the Tower of Power and they play um down to the nightclub and it's and okay. then they do this like 18 minute version of um get on up and knock yourself out and of course it was a live recording so like it sounds good but when i heard back to back to oakland i put it on in like my my mom's pathfinder it just sounded so incredible and when i heard the intro to squib cakes basically which i literally still practice at tk i mean i sit in there and i practice that and i practice the oakland stroke because they're just you know, for anyone who's like always looking for a good hands warm up on the kit, the Oakland Stroke is like just an. Inc I mean, it'll just work every because you have to go like you have to do kind of like a bit of what the funky drummer beat is, where it's like that the uh, like second note accent, ta ta mm -hmm. and those things just really like loosen you up, and they're hard to do. 
But when I heard it, I mean, basically, like, the intro is so incredible and iconic. But more than that, it was like, it was like, the, it was kind of like just the 16th note feel of what he was doing, you know. And I, I listened when you had Elich on, he talked about something that Chamberlain, that Matt has, which is like kind of an undulating, almost like there's like a shaker going on all the time. And I mm-hmm. I'd sort of was doing ghost notey stuff because I was listening to like the Chili Peppers and like, you know, I was hearing um, Chad do that kind of thing and and I kind of knew about it. But when I heard Garibaldi, it was like just the way that he composed those parts and and that constant like, so I'm like a pocket guy, you know, and um, that's my favorite stuff. And it just felt so incredible, but it was also so like I'd never heard people break up the the beat really like that. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, still to this day when I put it on, like just, just that, that sort of rooted constant motion of what he's playing is incredible. And when I, and when I saw Keith, I, you know, I, I, Keith obviously has like crazy chops, but at the baseline of it, it's like a similar thing. It's like, it's, it's flow on the kit. Like every fill feels amazing too. Like the, the, the pocket of the fills are so incredible to and so yeah perfect well here we go here's here's squib cakes <laughs> i mean it Jeez. i know it's so it's like so bouncy also in the bed i it's just so buoyant i'd never heard drumming that was so buoyant before And that that hi-hat thing, I've always found that so hard to do. That my foot, my foot, left foot. Yeah, Yeah. it's just, it's. uh, I mean, kind of a nod to the sissy strut too. Those little dun dun. Dude, definitely. This kind of stuff too. The way he breaks stuff up on the bell. And so, and it's like big bandy at the same time. And I, you know, the other reason why I I picked it was because I've like probably my favorite drum book of all time is Future Sounds. That that record and that band like opened me up to that. And it's like I still, it's just still the the foundation for anything I play is just making sh- making stuff, trying to make it feel like that. Not that I ever could, but trying to anyway, you know. <laughs> Going back to the, you know, digesting your influences. We're just trying. <laughs> we're just, we're just trying. Yeah. And I mean, so, and, and on that album, I mean, they're like, even just spending time learning Oakland Stroke and that intro is like, incre- it's invaluable. You know? Well, you know what? I would be remiss to not play the Oakland Stroke yeah. right now. So this is, this is the first song on this record. So here we go. Lenny Pickett from Saturday Night Live Band, a very young Lenny Pickett. 
Wow. Yeah, on the whole album. Yeah, it's, that that sounds like a good warm up. <laughs> it's crazy, and it's like if you do it doing it slowly, which is like what anyone would have to do at first with it, is also like hard. And it's I mean, doing anything slow is hard on the drums, and the best thing. But mm-hmm. it's just so it still fucks me up in the best way. Now um, you're gonna know whenever I'm at TK. Now you're gonna hear me try and play I, the <laughs> stroke. You're like, oh, Ben's here. Dude, it's so, I mean, I've been, so that, and then Squib Cakes, and then Soul Vaccination is another one where, like, just even learning those two, like, whatever, four bar, the four bar, you know, pattern that it is. I mean, it's just patterns. It's so amazing. Yep. And then, yeah, you learn it, and then, you know, you kind of do your, and you hear it in, like, Weckle, too. I mm-hmm. mean, the, the foundation for, for so much of that. I mean, I love, you know, obviously, like, all the all the amazing um facility that dave has but i mean just like those grooves and all that are also just so much from from garibaldi and just the the, like the flow of it you know it always just always feels so good i mean same with purdy i was gonna put a purdy track on here and i I had you switch it out but you did it's the same thing with bernard like every fill grooves so much too and that's just like my favorite thing it just never stop like it never breaks from like that motion and that feeling it never takes you out of it you know even when they're doing complicated things uh, yeah but i was lucky enough the last concert i saw before the world shut down was tower of power at nam 2020 whoa and so that was the last live concert i saw and i was like all right that's enough inspiration for me to not see anything for two years so all right so number two the album's night dreamer the release year is 1964 the artist is wayne shorter the song choice is black nile and uh, yeah, Elvin Jones. So uh, uh, yeah, take it away. I mean, you know, another. So it was like when I was picking this, I was like, I had to pick something of Elvin because it was like very profound, as it is for so many people. When you hear when you hear someone playing like that, and I was gonna actually pick a Love Supreme because that was like the first thing that I actually heard. But what I realized was like when I was listening to Love Supreme, like I never knew what was going on. So like I was my gateway to Elvin was basically I so you had um Joe Bigale on on the show and it was very cool to hear that because I don't know if Joe would remember me but we did a summer camp together at the Manhattan School of Music um mm. when we were in high school and that was when I when I met him and I, I thought about him so many times and I didn't realize what all he was up to until so shout out to you Ben for this awesome podcast honestly it's been like amazing man i've had so been having so much fun just driving around listening to everything and it's been really inspiring it means a lot dude seriously thank you you're so good at it um i I wanted to say all that in the beginning but i'll I'll probably say it again at the end too but um (laughs) you know joe so i was a i was a big fish head like joe and a lot of other people who grew up on the east coast in the 90s and then through fish i heard medesky martin and wood um, cause it was like intermission music and I was like, what's this? And then I was, I was super into them. And then there was like a, there was, I can't remember what record it was on, but there's a Billy Martin thing where it's like a 12, eight, um, and it goes, and I was like, this is so cool. What is this? And I played for my teacher and he was like, oh, well this is like Elvin from like a love Supreme, you know? And then he put it on for me and I was like, oh my God, like, that is what that is like what it, it you know 
and uh, I was like a sophomore in high school, and I just like used to sit and you know I smoked a lot of weed, and I would get really stoned, and I had these like glow in the dark stars on my ceiling, um, <laughs> and I would shut the lights off and just sit in front of the stereo and listen to that album, and I had no idea what was going on. And when I went to the Manhattan School of Music summer camp, I remember getting my ass handed to me because I didn't like I sort of knew like that so then I I got introduced to like Beyond Bop Drumming John Riley book which is amazing and like my teacher like was showing me these like triplet comping phrases which just blew me away but it was also just like the feel of Elvin like it's such an open sound and it's such a wide sound and that was really incredible to me. I mean, I was also listening to like a lot of Philly Joe Jones, who I still listen to, and a lot of, um, you know, and a lot of Tony. And it was like, it was like Elvin at these like slower tempos. It was so wide. And then Philly Joe at the medium tempos, like right down the middle. And then like up tempos, it's like Tony blistering with like a lot of the inventive ride symbol technique he was doing. And so, but with Elvin, so, the, so like, there's so many records you could pick of Elvin. Like also the real McCoy is one of my favorites. It has passion dance, which is like an incredible him and McCoy, like going to battle and some more Elvin Latin patterns. But the reason why I picked this one was cause like when I started listening to Wayne shorter stuff, like Wayne's compositions are, are so amazing. And I kind of didn't know a lot about song form until I like got to school. Like I didn't really pay attention to like the structure of playing jazz. And so there's a few reasons why I like this album. Like one is that Elvin is just like, I feel like he's very crisp on this album. Like some albums you hear him and it's like more, like I I feel like maybe he was like in jail one time and he like got out of jail and like played on an album. Like, you know, it was like whatever, the 60s and cigarette hanging out of his mouth. I mean, sure. so like this one, he's like on fire and um, and the and the other thing I like about this tune that I picked, Black Nile, is like when I heard it, I I really like could hear the song form in it. It's like an A A B A strong uh, song structure, and like even when he takes a solo at the end, you can you can kind of hear, you know, where he is in the solo. And and I I was sort of paying attention to that stuff with Philly Joe, but I was listening to more Elvin, and I kind of like it really clicked for me but just also like the triplet comping stuff that he does on this is like it's it's incredible and then also like you know how it is like I feel like a lot of people like gravitate towards certain records because of how they just sound and the ride symbol sound on this is so good and um you know I got to see Elvin I only got to see him once so like I went to PASIC in 2003 to perform with my um, percussion ensemble, which was super cool. We played right before Weckle. Um, and they almost let me, they almost let me play on his kit because the kit that they were supposed to deliver to me, like didn't show up. Like, and then Dave's stuff was there and there was a brief talk about letting me, like it was when he had the 18 inch kick set off to the side. And there's like, they were like, well, I heard them talking. They're like, well, he could just like play on, on like a few of those. And like, I think Dave's tech came in and he was like, no, he shut it down. Yeah. I was like giggling in the corner. I was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that, obviously. But Elvin was like the Elvin was the master guest that night. And it was so cool because like, um, you know, John Riley was there and like Ed Sof was there and Adam Nussbaum and all these like incre- and Gary Novak, who like Gary Novak did a clinic that year. It was just it blew me away. Nick actually Bagley turned me on to a 
Czech record called Time Warp with Gary, which which is just incredible. Um, but anyway, Elvin played, and it was amazing to see all these masters. Like there were like kids watching Elvin. Mm-hmm. I was like watching them watch him, and they were like children. And and you know it was later in in his life, obviously, but he's just still had that same open, wide sound. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I, I, I love this track. Any Wayne Shorter record is amazing. And I think this has McCoy Tyner, um, Lee Morgan, and um, a re- maybe Reggie Workman on bass. Um, but yeah, Wayne Shorter. All right. Yeah. Well, here you go. Here's Here's Black Nile. I love how he sets these sets those figures up too. Sounds so articulate on the. I mean, he always mm-hmm. does, but. There's Wayne. Sounds great. It does, and just his triplet comp. I mean, that's just like my favorite thing. I was really into Tane, um, and you know, I like Tane has so much of that, and yeah. I mean, I just yeah. I mean, Elvin, like you can just. It still fascinates me hearing him like do that stuff, and just yeah, how elastic it is is crazy. All right, so number three, and uh, we can talk about album forever, of course, yeah. but um, let's go to number three. So the album is A Few Small Repairs. This is the one that you actually switched out oh, yeah. for instead of Bernard. Well, I actually meant for this one to be last because chronologically oh. in my life, it was probably the next one I would do would be the Brian Blade stuff. Yeah, sorry, All I right. messed that up. No, yeah. we're going to tease people. I'm going to keep that okay. in. So the album is uh, Perceptual. The release here is 2000. The artist is Brian Blade Fellowship. The song's Crooked Creek, and the drummer is, like you just said, Brian Blade, so take it away. So this one, so basically, I mean, in carrying on with my Elvin phase, like, uh, when I heard Brian at that camp that I did, I heard them talk a lot about Brian, because the saxophone player on that is Myron Walden, um, who's amazing, and he was a, he was like an instructor, I think he was like, probably like 25 or something, and everyone was like oh yeah like brian brian's guy brian and i and i thought his name was so cool but i'd never heard him play and then he came to philly with the fellowship band um around that time and i had a friend who went and he was just like dude this guy's like dropping bombs with his like ride sim you know and um and i didn't go to the show and then my summer and my freshman year in college i like saw this cd in a used cd store i still hadn't checked out brian and I put it on and I was like, holy shit. It just blew me. And his playing blew me away. He like that. And then an album with Kenny Garrett where they, it's called pursuance where they do just like the music of 
Coltrane. It's so beautiful and and so amazing. And to me, Brian was like the he's like the closest thing we have to like Elvin. And he's such an emotional player, such a mm-hmm. spiritual player. But when I heard the Fellowship Band, I thought it's like such a unique instrumentation. There's like pedal steel and Kurt Rosenwinkel's on guitar. And I, it's like, I think you know talking about like influences and stuff it's like you know where you and i are like in a similar scene of music and like pop or kind of left field pop or whatever they call it it's not like i'm really out Mm -hmm. there playing jazz at all but so much of this like informs the way that i play like because with muna for example there's like some of the songs are um you know there's like a country pop element to what they do and there's like ballads and i'm not like smashing i'm playing like you know like there's a there's a tune where it's very like almost jazz sounding with like kind of a left-handed press roll and stuff and it works in that music because there's a lot of dynamics in their music and breath and i'm like channeling you know this these records and this time i spent listening to this music and with brian it's like it his touch on the kit and his flow and how how wide it all is and and dynamically it's it's amazing and like you hear so much elvin but this the fellowship band is you know for anyone who hasn't heard it it's so amazing and unique um and i think he had like every instrument mixed at the same level at this record too which was interesting he was like all wanted like an equality type of feeling to the music and um yeah just beautiful tunes and unreal playing all right here's crooked creek touch is just it's crazy it's unreal it's like emotional jazz you know Dynamics, like incredible. This first, the first, this first Kurt Rosenwinkel solo is crazy. Mm. The way that, yeah, the way they play off each other is amazing. out of this Brit this is dope right here yeah. speaking of the left foot before his left foot is on it's like 
so perfectly swung on that uh, yep on the upbeat sky yeah Kurt Rosenwinkel also like <laughs> I don't want to stop it I but know. Uh, go everyone go listen to the record that sounds yeah well, see, I would see him at the 55 bar doing some other stuff when I lived in New York but I saw the fellowship band specifically at the Village Vanguard a few times and I mean it's like oh. people are like freaking out People are mm-hmm. just, and you know, Brian is like, he's like, oh, like it's crazy, and everyone can feel it. And in a small room like that, it's just, you know, and it's all like, it's acoustic. Like, it's, you're basically just hearing acoustic. You know, that's the amazing thing. I don't go to see jazz really anymore, which is sad, but I did when I lived in New York, and just like, it, it's, it's just so, it's fascinating. Just, Where yeah. would you go to see in in LA if you were to? Would it be? I'm sure you're familiar with Aaron Aaron Steele. I mean, he did like some Dude, stuff at ETA. I love yeah. Um. I guess there's the baked potato. The the, the blue whales not around anymore. Like that. Where would you go? That was the last time. Shout out Aaron, by the way. I've known Aaron um mm-hmm. s- for so long since I lived in New York, and it's just amazing watching him. Um. I don't know, like the blue whale was the last time I went and saw something. And I guess yeah. the baked potato still, I think, is doing a lot of stuff. And it does seem like these like Highland Park, you know, hangs are like, are, are where a lot of that ETA specifically. I went and I saw, I saw Gary Novak and um, my friend Tim Lefebvre, who's an incredible bass player, and um, his wife, mm-hmm. Rachel Eckroth, do like a trio thing in there. And Gary, whew, I mean... Yeah, it it was crazy. It was very heavy watching that in there. But I, I feel like ETA is kind of like the little hang for that now. All right. So moving on, just for the sake of time, let's yes. go to number four. Um, the album's When the Pawn, and the release here is 99. The artist is Fiona Apple. The song choice is On the Bound. And you've mentioned him before. This is Matt Chamberlain on drums. So take it away. I mean, totally. I I feel like probably so many people listening to this would have something of Matt's on their list. But for me, this was when I was in school, you know, where I went to college. Like everyone, it was kind of like choose your own adventure. Nick was like very clearly doing that crazy stuff he was doing. For me, like I, I was definitely deep into the jazz thing but I was always I've always loved like singer songwriters female singer songwriters which is sort of funny because that's like the majority of what I've done in my career are like playing with female oriented bands and um also because they're just the best but um but I agree yeah I know you um so (laughs) and, and so I kind of was like when I heard this album I had heard Macy Gray's first record in like 1999 and that was Matt I didn't know it was Matt but I loved that Macy Gray album and I just loved how it felt and I was like a huge Sarah McLaughlin fan huge Indigo Girls fan also partly why I like really responded to Muna was like I heard all of these things that I like kind of the first like song oriented music that I really loved when I was in high school and then when I got to college I sort of left it behind for a bit, went down the jazz rabbit hole, was really listening. And then the only other thing I was listening to a lot of was like Coldplay. It was like a rush of blood to the head came out when I was in college and it like was just blew me away. And then great album. So good. Um, and then when my friend who I was playing with, she's an amazing singer songwriter. She, she like 
was in the classical guitar program, but she was like just always listening to the coolest music. And actually, she took me to go see Death Cab in 2004 in Fort Lauderdale on the Transatlanticism tour. And I mm-hmm. and I Jason just I didn't know who Jason was. It, it just he was in he was on fire. Um, she got me into all this cool stuff, but one thing she got me into was she got me into Fiona and she got me into Jeff Buckley. <clears throat> and when I heard this Fiona album, I think I didn't realize it was Matt, but like what I loved about it, and you kind of hear it in this, is like the way he plays, it like kind of sounded like Elvin to me. Like it's, and on the bounce specifically, it's kind of swung. The tones were like more, like they're warmer. The tones are so, I mean, this whole album is like a master class in John Bryan's production and all the crazy things going on in Matt's playing. But it just, I felt a lot of like, jazz and swing and sort of what but yet it was like pop music which is like really my favorite thing at the end of the day and songs and so yeah it just was like the perfect thing and then I was like oh that's cool like you can kind of you can be like a jazz head but play pop music you know and Elitch talked about it with that Brad Meldow record I was a big Brad Meldow fan of just like his trio but then I remember when when Largo came out and and him using Matt and being I was like that makes so much or when I heard it whenever it probably after it came out I was like that makes so much sense because that's what Matt does and it's so beautiful and it just feels amazing and I know he studied a lot I think with Garibaldi I read once and you can kind of hear that also in a lot of his playing so yeah I mean immediately the the, the group like the, the great the ghost notes and When he went to the ride, I was like, oh, he's like, I hear Elvin and when he, I think in the court, in the chorus, when he goes to the ride. It's like, it's, it's a triplet feel, you know? Mm-hmm. And obviously it's a bit, it's almost like a, a Purdy Shuffle kind of thing, but you could just hear the triplet subdivision. Also Fiona, I mean, just... Sure. Yeah. Yeah, we can't not mention what's going on right now with her, too. And maybe some faith would do me good. I don't know what I'm doing, don't know should I change my mind, I can't that was a good transition out of that chorus so that good was really cool and that whole this that this whole album is incredible um yeah it's still same thing it still just blows me away i think it's still people are still trying to you know make records that sound like that too yes yeah, timeless it is timeless all right so now we will go to the teaser everyone waited uh, <laughs> and so the album is a few small repairs the ni- uh, the year the release year is 1996. The artist is Sean Colvin. The song choice is Sun- "Sunny Came Home," and the drummer is Sean Pelton. Yes, Sean playing for Sean. Uh, if you, people don't know, Sean is the SNL house drummer. Has been for many years. Uh, anyways, take it away. Yeah, I mean, it's it's th- this is a really rad album. I it, it was funny, like with 
part of the thing with Muna, like what made me fall in love with them is like they, um, you know, they had, they're very, I, I basically just heard a lot of Sean Colvin when I heard Katie from Muna and, and her writing, which is incredible and her, and her voice. And she comes from a lot of, you know, she's like, maybe they're like, you know, good 10 years younger than me, but I heard so much, so much in their music of like things that I loved and listened to, listening to when I was growing up in, in high school, particularly with like a lot of the singer songwriter music, which is kind of still just like my favorite music at the end of the day. And with this album, I remember when this song came out. So it, and it, and it won a uh, record of the year and song of the, uh, song of the year, um, which I guess are two different categories. Um, and, the whole album was like Grammy nominated and it's kind of like a conceptual album, I believe about like a woman like leaving like an abusive relationship. Um, but this song, like when I, when I heard it, it, I, I loved it. But then I came back to it once I moved to New York. Cause when I moved to New York, I, so like the two drummers I was really seeing a lot was Keith at 55 bar and then was Sean. And I used to play a lot with my old band in this, in this club called the living room, which is now gone but it was like Nora Jones got really big in there and a lot of other artists. And um, I, I used to watch another amazing drummer in there named Tony Mason. And Tony is really good friends with Sean. And I basically just like kind of, you know, I don't want to say learned because I'm still totally learning, like figuring out how to do it. But it it helped, it has helped me learn like watching Sean play. And he would play in there and in and a couple of other like you know Rockwood Music Hall in New York, which is still there and awesome, and and it's so incredible when you're in one of these. I mean, you can see it in L.A. too, but in New York, it's like so easy because if you go to Rockwood on a night, you could see like Juliana, like Mark would be playing with somebody, or so many amazing people who were just like awesome and and around and and at that level. But it was like amazing watching Sean in one of these small rooms, and I would go to the Bitter End a lot also and watch him play there. Anton Fig used to play in there. Cliff Almond, who's like another 50, all these like crazy drummers. But Sean, I think what I've always loved about Sean is like, is again, just the the, fe- the feel. Like it never doesn't feel amazing. And with this one, so when I got to New York, it was like, there was like a revisiting of like Sonny came home. Cause we, we would, I would go with friends and watch Sean and you know, Adam, Chris Gow and I would, would go and Ryan Vaughn, you know, Ryan, um, and mm-hmm. so like back when Ryan was like really trying to be a drummer, but we would all just be like, the feel is so incredible. And, and it was like a New York feel and sound to me, you know? And so I like started listening to this again. And I feel like even to this day, like when I play like songs and it's, you know, I'm not really like busting out, you know, there's one Muna song where I, where I do try to quote unquote I learned like one gospel like that I try to bust out but really like it's 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 fills like these and you'll kind of hear it um like the there's just a like a um a lilt and a swing to Sean's feel and it's just amazing and and the way like just going into sections and I mean there's a fill I think it's like coming out of the bridge on this which is just it just feels amazing um, and the, the pocket and even just like the way he'll like open his hi-hat between like the slight opening of the hi-hat between all these things that just are so masterful. I, I was just listening to this last night again and the song is just so, the melody is amazing. Um, so yeah. Here we go. Sonny came home.
just that that's such a Sean thing that it's amazing. Yeah, dude. His touch is so amazing. Those dynamics are so crazy. crazy. And the, just the way he opens his hats at the end, at the ends of those vocal phrases. That shit just, it fucks, it still fucks me up. It's just the way it feels. <laughs> it, it's so springy. And yeah, I mean, that's such a cool record. Like, I think John Leventhal produced it, who um, is Rosanna Cash's husband and and um, has done just like a lot of amazing sort of organic um, pop type albums. But yeah, I still like just try to imitate those fills like, now like when i'm playing with muna <laughs> it's kind of funny i i had like you know a lot of uh, tons of mutual friends with him in new york and i and i did get to meet him a couple times i never got to like hang deeply with him but i mean it was like if i ever whenever i saw his name on the schedule for one of the i would just like take the train into the city and just go go watch him you know that is an amazing thing about new york it's kind of harder to do that here i'm sure it's possible i i haven't i did go get to go see matt when i first moved out here he did a residency at the mint which is like such a cool weird venue <laughs> that was the first show i played ever in la when i moved here to like six people in the bartender yeah yeah it was it, i do love it in there though it just feels so weird it, it, and yeah. matt was doing a residency and it was it was so crazy because it was like mike elizondo on bass who's like a killer producer and uh, Blake Mills playing guitar who I kind of knew who Blake Mills was mm. I feel like there's someone else just like it was like LA session royalty and I was like this is crazy like th this wasn't really there in New York I mean we had Sean and but like not you know all these other people because like th that was that's mainly out here all these like people like who make the records you know it's more of them out here anyway yeah. It, this is a tough thing. I'm not as mad as you, at, mad at you as some of the other people on here have been. But <laughs> it's, dude, it's so cool. I mean, you know, Josh Dion is like, like Josh. I, so I've known Josh for so long. I mean, I was in New York too. I would just go. My old band used to play with Josh's old band a lot, the Josh Dion mm -hmm. band, and I would go watch Josh too. Like I'd go to the bitter end, and he was one of those people. I'd go, you know. Like he's like my age, but I, it just felt like he was like not my age. He was definitely, he was just otherworldly, and his feel. I mean, 
yeah, it's it's this is so cool what you're doing, man. I'm so impressed by it because you're such an incredible drummer who's like playing and doing the thing, but then you're also doing this and it's amazing. Oh, well, I'm not good at taking compliments, so, I, <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate I just, it, man. I love thank it. You. I'm like fairly new to listening to podcasts and I, you know, listening to this, like when you asked me to do this, I, I listened through so many and I was like, this is amazing. And thank you for having me. I'm sorry if I've just rambled on and on and on. Um, well, no, you're see, so I'm, easy I'm, to talk to. <laughs> well, ditto, but I'm, I'm happy. This is a little bit of a longer episode because last week, um, I won't say who, maybe I'll tell you afterwards, but, uh, you know, I, they canceled on me last minute. So I actually, this is a, this is to make up for not releasing an episode last week. <laughs> okay. So you're getting double us. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Anyone out there listening that, that, it, well, sorry and not sorry. Don't be um, sorry. But before we go, if people do want to check out your stuff, um, I will blast it in the show notes as well. But, um, for people that are driving and just want to know, and they can re remember how can people see your stuff, see what you're doing is, is Muna going out? Yeah. Just kind of, this is your platform. Um, okay, great. So yeah. Um, you can find me on Instagram, uh, Sarab Singh, and then I have a uh, solo music that I make as well, uh, under the name clever girl. And that's more, um, electronic oriented. I, I kind of compose also it's, uh, maybe in the trap genre. And then I also, so, and then as far as Muna goes, um, we, what we have coming up is we're doing, um, we're opening for Lord in Australia is the next thing we're doing in, in March, so if you're in Australia. And then we'll be on a bunch of the Taylor Swift tour. That's awesome, Direct man. support for Taylor, yes. That'll be really, it's actually my second, oddly enough, my second time opening for her, um, which is so funny. But um, things like that. There will be some more U.S. Uh, headlining shows announced. And then, and then I think we'll be in Europe at the end of the summer doing a headlining run also um so yeah and that's where sarab's audio cut out but he just said you know ben you're the greatest person ever and i'm so happy uh how amazing you are and i can't believe um how uh, awesome everything is in your life and and bye And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye.